Welcome back, everybody, to The Spooktacular Now. I am your host, Nicole, here with my two best witches, Kenzie and Denise. Hello. Hello. It feels so good to be back with you ladies recording today. I Yay. know I've missed us. I yeah, know. we've been gone a minute. We took a nice little uh, holiday break, I guess you would call it. Hope everybody had happy holidays with much merriment. But we are back today with another Lady Killer episode. Ooh. This is of a woman named Mary Ann Cotton from jolly old England. I'd never heard of her before, <laughs> but she is one of the worst. Well, and a, such a sweet name. Mary Ann Cotton. I know. I know. <laughs> sounds so motherly. <laughs> She's the worst mother ever. Oh. Just, just you wait. Okay. All right. So here we go. Long before Jack the Ripper came around... England had had its fair share of infamous murderers. 19th century England had experienced a decade known as the Hungry Forties, and it was during this time that national attention expanded to include female criminals. An economic depression had set in following the decline of the textile industry in 1839, and because of this, a few women began murdering as a way to survive. So, you know, side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> You gotta make, gotta Ladies make gotta a living eat. somehow. Yeah, yeah. yeah, girls gotta eat, right? <laughs> During this time, there are nine known women who had been convicted of serial murder in England. This included Sarah Daisley, the female bluebeard who killed several of her husbands, Mary Milner, who poisoned her in-laws, Catherine Wilson, a nurse who poisoned her patients with sulfuric acid. Oh, Ooh, bad nurse. And during the 1860s, Marianne Cotton would join the ranks. And that's who we're talking about today. Marianne Cotton was born in 1832 to impoverished, transient teenage parents who had to move frequently so her father could find work. He typically worked as a minor. She was described as a pretty child and was once remembered by a neighbor for her fine, dark eyes. Tragedy befell the family when her father fell down a mining shaft when she was just nine years old, mm. and her little sister died young as well. However, Marianne described her childhood as relatively joyful. After Marianne's father died, she had to go to work to help support the family, which was pretty typical back then. And as a teenager, she worked as a Sunday school teacher, another one. Now, I'm not saying anything about Sunday school teachers, but I am seeing a theme here. Just kidding. <laughs> she also worked as a dressmaker and worked as a maid for a wealthy family. And working for this wealthy family revealed to Mary Ann the luxurious life that could be obtained if only you had money. And this changed the way she saw the world forever. Now, she was never a rich woman. But she did embrace the treat yourself mindset and would pay to have her home cleaned regularly by a cleaning woman. At the age of 19, Marianne married a man named William Mowbray. The wedding was held 20 miles outside of town, most likely because she was trying to avoid a scandal as she was pregnant. No family or friends attended. Marianne would stand at an altar several more times in her lifetime. 
Married life was no bed of roses early on for Marianne. Her new husband, William, moved them to a shanty town in southwest England where she gave birth to four or five children. The record is a little murky. And they all died shortly after birth. None of them had birth certificates, so they were never really registered as living children. Oh my gosh. After several years, they decided to move back up north and they had one living child at this point, a girl named Margaret Jane. But sadly, she died shortly after the move due to scarlatina, which is a bright red rash caused by a severe strep throat infection. So, you know, back then, kids get strep throat. Strep throat. <laughs> I got strep throat. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So when kids got strep throat back then, that was often a death sentence yeah. if it progressed mm. and became septic so that's what it sounds like one of her children died from and i can't imagine how this must have affected her mental well-being living in poverty in a shanty town all of your babies dying that would be a very bleak existence Mm. so they continued to move from town to town as her husband followed the work he took a job on a steamer ship so they moved to the coast there they had three more children isabella Margaret Jane, number two, and John Robert. John Robert died at only one year of age due to diarrhea, uh, most likely leading to dehydration. So during this time, her husband would be away at sea for months at a time. So you know the old story, spouse away for long periods of time, other spouses lonely, yada, yada. Marianne took up with a minor from a neighboring town by the name of Joseph Natras. She was smitten and began to take matters into her own hands in terms of how she was living her life. She was not so willing any longer to continue following William from one impoverished town to another as he was looking for work. The reasons Marianne began resorting to murder is a bit of a mystery. And as we have seen before, arsenic would be her weapon of choice. Those lady killers love their arsenic. <laughs> and there was a play called Arsenic and Old Lace. I don't know what it's about, but it's like, I don't know. It's got to be about something <laughs> with murder and arsenic. And I would have to say so. I don't think you've ever seen it, but I've heard of that. Yeah. And arsenic's in the title, so. Right. Mm-hmm. Marianne's husband, William Mowbray, died in 1865 of typhus fever. But the doctor could have meant typhoid fever. Typhus and typhoid are both infections, but caused by two different bacteria. Typhus is spread through flea bites, and typhoid is spread through food contaminated with fecal matter. Yummy. Typhoid fever does, in fact, look similar in symptom presentation compared to arsenic poisoning. So it is possible she poisoned her husband, William. There is just no hard proof. So his death was actually a windfall for Marianne. She collected insurance money and took her now two living daughters to live in the very same town where Joseph Natras lived. Her little, you know, side flavor. Yeah. <laughs> side piece. Side piece. <laughs> Not long after, Margaret J. Number two died from typhus fever. Marianne then sent her daughter Isabella to live with her grandmother. She did not survive beyond the age of nine the longest living of all of Marianne's children. Oh, my, oh my gosh. gosh. And that's how many babies for her at that point? Yeah. Eight, I'm ten? losing track. Oh, that's that's that's. I have to get the that's official terrible. tally for yeah. you. 
So Marianne was now free of any responsibility. She's childless, she's single, she's footloose and fancy free. But a harsh blow soon came, hammering down when she discovered that her lover, Joseph Natras, was married. Boom. She cut her losses and dropped the guy and moved back to her hometown. She became a nurse and was a pretty darn good one and had a way with the male patients. But Florence Nightingale, she was not. Because Florence (laughs) Nightingale didn't go around murdering people. Love you, Flo. (laughs) One good-looking fella by the name of George Ward fell head over heels for Marianne and proposed to her while in the hospital. Once again, no family or friends attended the nuptials. Sad. Marriage to George Ward did not last long, just 15 short months. She did not become pregnant during the marriage, which may hint at some possible marital or health issues from either side. He died after exhibiting classic signs of arsenic poisoning, including stomach pain, diarrhea, and tingling in his hands and feet. So this became her new MO, meeting and marrying, then murdering. How'd you like that alliteration? <laughs> very nice. Very it nice. works. <laughs> Her next conquest was a recently widowed and wealthy father of five children, James Robinson. She moved into the Robinson home as a housekeeper right before Christmas, 1866. Oh, I can see what her plan's going to be. <laughs> Within one week of her arrival, the youngest child was dead. And only a day after any symptoms of sickness emerged, Robinson did not suspect Marianne in the death of his daughter, and by March of 1867, Marianne was pregnant. That spring, she was summoned to come and care for her ailing mother, and nine days after her arrival, her mother was dead. The neighbors were suspicious of Marianne's behavior. They witnessed her going through all of her mother's things, and she even predicted her mother's death to them only a few days before she died. She took her daughter Isabella back to Robinson's home. Poor Isabella. In April 1867, the children began dying off one by one. Isabella, then nine, died of gastric fever. Six-year-old Wait, James Jr. Did Isabella already die? No, she Isabella was living with her mother, so she went and took care of her mother, and then the mom died, so she had to take Isabella with her. Oh, you had already mentioned that she didn't make it past age nine, but I was confused. That That's okay. Okay. In April 1867, the children began dying off one by one. Isabella, then nine, died of gastric fever. Six-year-old James Jr. died of continued fever. I love these official diagnoses. <laughs> and his eight-year-old sister Elizabeth died of gastric fever. They all had exhibited the same symptoms. Hmm, Restlessness, right? Foaming at the mouth, near constant vomiting, thrashing around on the bed. So horrible. And this all happened over a span of 10 days. Oh my God. She's the worst. Yeah, what the hell? Marianne was no holds barred with the arsenic. She was so impatient to be rid of all of the children. It's like... She saw them as dispensable, easy to throw away, and perhaps this developed from a sort of protective mechanism or negative coping to deal with the five or six babies she'd lost a few years before. It's like she wouldn't allow herself to have any attachment to the children or to see them as human. Therefore, it was very easy for her to dispose of them. Ugh, gross. Uh. 
But this also points out how easily and common it was for children to die back then and how their deaths may not have been seen as suspicious because they're dying all the time anyway. And that's why people were having 13 kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And with so many kids uh, dying in a short amount of time, they might have thought that it was something contagious. Exactly. Yeah. James and Marianne, you know, the guy whose children she had all just like murdered, most of them anyway, they married in August of 1867. Their first child was born in November, but died due to convulsions only months later. James Robinson continued to be in denial at this point, even after all the deaths of these children. By 1869, Marianne and James had another child together, George. Around this time, they had begun to argue frequently about money. Marianne would run up all these little secret debts and squirreled away funds she told him she had spent. She also tasked the eldest surviving Robinson child to help her pawn clothing for money. When James found out, he became furious, and she ran away from home and took baby George with her. A few months later, she came back to town with George and dropped him off with a friend to run some errands and never came back to get him. The baby was reunited with his father. She and James Robinson never got back together, and she was already scheming her next plot. Yay, George, you're safe. (laughs) She was now 37 and on her own. Oh, ancient. (laughs) She sought again a domestic life as a woman of a household and began corresponding with a childhood friend named Margaret. Margaret Cotton, to be exact. Margaret had a brother, Frederick, who was a widower with two sons, and he was in need of a housekeeper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) too easy uh too perfect of an opportunity for a girl here marianne was highly recommended to frederick by way of margaret and in 1870 moved in as his housekeeper four weeks after moving in margaret was dead and all of her money went to frederick who sought comfort from his grief in the arms of marianne of course she soon became pregnant Mm -hmm. they married the following fall even though she was technically still married to James Robinson. A few weeks after they married, she took out life insurance policies on Frederick's two sons. And then she named the baby Robert. In 1871, the Cotton family moved to West Auckland. Frederick found work there in a mine, and shockingly, they moved on the same street as her former lover, Joseph Natras. Remember that guy? He's still around. Wow, back in the picture. He was now single. Perfect. (laughs) Mary Ann wasted no time getting rid of her latest husband. He died quickly. And shortly after, Natris moved into her home as a, quote, lodger. Before she had a second to marry Natris, she met a wealthier man. So she's really juggling the men right now. (laughs) A tax collector named Mr. Quick Manning. He was sick and in the hospital when they first met as Marianne had been working again as a nurse. Now, the community is beginning to talk. They thought it was terrible that she had become a widow with three young children shortly after moving to town, so they had sympathy, but to move on so quickly to Natris, allowing him to move in with her, this caused the alarm bells to ring. Then the town saw her attempting to charm Quick Manning, so this sympathy for Marianne had dissolved at that point. Neighbors even commented that it looked like the three children were starving. She decided that she needed to remove any obstacles in her way to marry Quick Manning. She poisoned Fred Jr., her baby Robert, and even Natris. 
A neighbor girl came by to help care for the sick children and noticed that the baby was hardly breathing. She recalled later asking Marianne who she should fetch to tend to the baby, and Marianne replied, nobody. <gasps> Cold. Wow. Heartless. She's the worst. Yeah. It is believed that Joseph Natras knew he was being poisoned by Marianne, but he was so sick by the time he realized it, there was nothing he could do. Another neighbor came to visit and reported that Joseph was in agony, having convulsions and in intense pain. He said to the neighbor, it is no fever that I have. While Natras was dying, baby Robert's corpse was rotting nearby four days after his oh, death. Oh, God. Marianne wanted to save on funeral expenses and was waiting for Joseph to die so they could be buried at the same time. Oh. Marianne became pregnant with Quick Manning's child shortly after. Dang. So she was all set to marry Quick Manning, but one thing stood in her way. Charles Edward Cotton, Frederick's remaining son. She treated him horribly, starved him, beat him, pulled his hair. Neighbors noticed her cruel treatment of him. And a local pharmacist named Thomas Riley stopped by her house one day to ask if she would be able to provide care to a smallpox patient. While they talked, she kept bringing up Charles Edward and how much of a burden he was. Riley noticed little Charles in the corner of the room listening to the conversation and kind of cowering. She asked Riley, I know, so sad. She asked Riley if there was any way she could put Charles Edward into a workhouse. Luckily, Riley said, nope. Then he reports that she actually said, it won't matter as I won't be troubled long. He'll go like all the rest of the cotton oh family. <laughs> yeah. She's, you know, she's, oh, she's the worst. If he had taken that boy, he would have saved him. Right. He probably had some intense guilt. Oh. Six days later, Riley walked past Marianne's house and he saw her in the doorway crying and acting frantic and carrying on. She told Riley that Charles Edward was dead and she pleaded with him to come in and look at the body, which is something that I guess she often did. It was all an act, like showing how concerned she was. She would even ask doctors to come over to figure out what was wrong with the family member she had poisoned, all to throw them off her actions. Oh, look at me and how much I care for them. Can't you help me? Yeah. (laughs) But this particular death, coupled with her haunting and horrific remark about he'll go like the rest of the Cotton family, had gone too far. Riley was certain that Marianne had murdered her little stepson. He refused to go inside to see the body and instead went straight to the police station. Police held an inquest and the boy's tiny body was presented on a table. The autopsy was poorly done because they had already ruled his death as natural. However, the doctor must have sensed that something was amiss because he made sure to save some of Charles Edwards' viscera tissue, which he then buried in his own yard in jars. I love how they did things back then. (laughs) It was just so official. You know, (laughs) I'm just going to bury these in my backyard. (laughs) So Marianne continued on with her life, but little did she know that her days of freedom were coming to an end. The local paper had already noticed Riley's suspicions about Marianne and people began to gossip around town. The doctor was finally convinced to investigate Charles Edwards' death again, so he dug up the jars and studied the tissue samples more thoroughly. He detected arsenic in every sample. He wasted no time and went straight to the police station. The very next day, Marianne was arrested, finally. 
At first, Marianne was only accused of murdering Charles Edward, but shortly thereafter, these charges extended to include Joseph Natras, baby Robert, and Frederick Cotton Jr. All of their bodies were exhumed and examined, and arsenic was found in all three. Mm -hmm. Police tried to exhume the body of Frederick Cotton Sr., but his body was unable to be located despite searching in several grave sites, so somehow they lost his body. Oh, you know, a grave that probably robber. happened fairly more, often yeah. than poor record More keeping. often than you realize. Exactly. Yeah. So now remember, Marianne was pregnant with Quick Manning's baby. She had her baby in jail, and then she would openly breastfeed in court. And this was no coincidence. It was a very manipulative move as she was trying to gain the sympathy of the jury. How could this loving mother and housewife murder anyone? The newspapers described her as having delicate, prepossessing beauty. Her defense team argued that no arsenic had actually been found in her home at the time of Charles Edward's death, and that the boy had probably been accidentally poisoned by arsenic fumes coming from the green wallpaper in his bedroom <laughs> and from the flakes of the arsenic and soap mixture Marianne used to clean the house. How convenient. Mm -hmm. I mean, what was the boy licking the wallpaper? Yeah, what the heck? <laughs> how, how would fumes be in... Yeah, yeah. no. As for the prosecution, they brought in a noted doctor to disprove this theory. The doctor argued that the level of arsenic in the corpse was too high to have been obtained from soap flakes or wallpaper fumes. For example, Joseph Natras's body contained four times the amount of arsenic needed to kill a man. As per our previous lady killers... Marianne showed little emotion throughout the trial and only broke down in tears when the defense gave a sappy monologue about the implausibility of a mother killing her own child. So basically, she was really playing it up in mm. prison and the courtroom. Eventually, though, Marianne was convicted of murdering Charles Edward. The judge said something awesome in court. You seem to have given away to that most awful of delusions that you could carry out your wicked designs without detection. She was then sentenced to death by hanging. The executioner selected to carry out the hanging of Marianne Cotton was known to have botched several executions in the past. So I don't think this was a coincidence. I think they were like, yeah, get the bad one. Get the guy that's really bad at <laughs> make hanging. Her yeah, make her suffer. Yeah, make her suffer. How are you bad at... Right. So, I mean, I think there's different ways I heard. Like so, yeah. So this is why he preferred a hanging method called short drop, <laughs> which sometimes had the horrific side effect of not breaking the person's neck. And whenever this happened, the hangman would have to kneel down on the platform and then press down on the shoulders of the dying as they oh. died slowly, spinning at the ass <gasps> me. He liked doing that. Yeah. He I like the short drop method because then I get to kill them really myself. Oh my God. Yeah. Also possibly a serial killer. Smartest serial killer. Yeah. Where you were legally killing people. Yeah. Oh you were God. killing this bad guys. This guy was brilliant. Yeah. Again, like Dexter. Yep. You know, oh. yep. He, killing this, the bad guys. This executioner guys. had a code. Yeah. <laughs> As the day of her execution loomed closer, she wrote several letters to family and friends asking them to petition the court for dismissal of her death sentence. She maintained her innocence, stating in her letters that lies had been told about her. She also pleaded with one surviving husband, James Robinson, to visit her in jail and bring baby George, which he declined. Smart man. 
Her sick and twisted deeds were not entirely over, and when she made arrangements for her last child to be adopted, remember Quick Manning's baby that she had in prison, Mm -hmm. she was caught rubbing soap on the baby's gums, thinking that if the child became sick, her life might be spared until the baby recovered. Oh my gosh, she's sick. Devious. Absolute the worst, yes. I'm curious as to why they didn't give the baby to like a wet nurse at that point that she was still allowed to care for it while being incarcerated. I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe they had some laws or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of weird to me. So it is so disgusting and despicable how she would like try to trap men by getting pregnant and then of course they would do what was seen as the right thing back then and marry her and then she would murder them along with her own children for reasons that still seem unclear i think she rather enjoyed murdering people Mm. like she got some sick pleasure out of Mm -hmm. it she kept marrying further up the social ladder but even when she found a comfortable life she killed her family anyway, so she like was... she couldn't stop. No, she couldn't. No, she she was terrible. I mean, some of the other lady killers when they killed, it was uh, for money, right? You know, they would put she would they would put a life insurance policy on child or the adult, collect, you know. But she was just killing at first, right? Just, just like just yeah. to kill, just to kill. Ugh. Well, she was accused of four, and then found guilty on one. But how many were there? Should I get out my calculator? Yeah. I mean, how I will many? Oh, will find the exact okay. yeah. assumed amount. I think she's the worst one so far. Yeah, yeah. she is evil because she's killing mm-hmm. all of her own babies. Yeah. On March 24th, 1873, Marianne walked from her prison cell to the scaffold. It took three minutes for her to die. And the executioner had to steady her twitching body with his own hands. And I bet he loved every minute of it. (laughs) With a smile on his face. (laughs) I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) (laughs) A week later, a play called The Life and Death of Marianne Cotton opened. Children. A week? Oh, (laughs) my gosh. They must have been throwing that together while she was still in jail. (laughs) They were just waiting for the final ending, yeah. and then they could open, open on yeah, the West End. Yeah, they probably end. practiced it both ways. Like if she mysteriously escaped her sentence, right? You know, they had two endings. Two scripts. They're like, oh, oh, we just got the newspaper. We're going with this ending, guys. <laughs> so children even made up a song. You know, like children used to sing "Ring Around the Rosie." Well, that yeah. was about like the Black Plague or something, yeah. wasn't it? So they made up a song. And they sang it in the street, and it went something like this. Marianne Cotton, she's dead and she's rotten, lying in bed with her eyes wide open. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is priceless. I'm sorry if there are any listeners from England out there. That was my best... um, childlike english that was accent like it was terrible the best version of an american tries to do a cockney <laughs> accent i've ever heard so sorry so it was, sorry i know it was bad i actually love england so much i love you england <laughs> as if they don't have enough reasons to hate us right they're gonna add me to the list yeah so that is the story of mary ann cotton officially classified as a serial killer Estimated number of victims, upwards of 21. She killed people between the years of 1857 and 1872. Wow. 
eight of her own children, seven stepchildren, her mother, three husbands, a lover, and an inconvenient friend. Remember, what was it, Margaret? Oh, poor Margaret. Yeah. Oh, Margaret. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Poor mm-hmm. Margaret. Dang. And arsenic was always her method of murder. Ugh. You know, so many of our lady killers used arsenic. Yeah. So I'm thinking then I think it was easy to get. You get it in the hardware drugstore. Yeah, yeah. Right down there. So I thought today would it be easy to get. So I Googled arsenic in shopping and it's out there. Anywhere from seven dollars to five hundred dollars. Oh, I don't mom, know. The FBI has a file on you now. Well, now it is on my file. Is that I googled arsenic, so somebody's gonna yeah. be at my door tomorrow. I'm sure. You can also kill people with antifreeze. Oh yeah, because I guess it tastes sweet, and you can put it in their drinks. <gasps> yeah. What? Oh, well, and it's it'll kill them real quick. I don't even know if we should say this, but visine. Visine, the eye drops? Oh, yeah, that's yes. right. That lady killer husband with yes. Visine drops. There was a lady killer recently, not that long ago. And they found that uh, she only killed her husband, but she heard about another woman who had done it, put Visine in his cup, his mug of water or drink, whatever. Ooh. And it killed him. And it just one serving? I, I think it or was. was it over I think time? No, I don't think Dang. it was for very long. I don't think it, I think it was pretty quick acting, not just once, but maybe a couple. Oh my. We'll this is why there are uh, warnings on labels for stuff that say use as directed. Don't if ingest. You don't, yeah. You could just die. Well, Whoa. and then of course, when that was in the newspaper about those two women killing their husbands using Visine, I thought, Oh, man, there's going to be a run. Yeah, there's going to be a run on Visine. <laughs> there'll be Visine lady killers. Yeah, that's... Wow. Oh, my gosh. I did Wait, not so know about that. You can just buy arsenic still. What is it even used I, for? Rat poison, isn't it? Used in like different uh, rat poisons? Maybe? And you know what? In small, tiny, tiny doses, it might be a medicinal somehow. I don't know. Uh-huh. I do not know. I know nothing about it. But I just, out of curiosity, I looked it up and... You know, different bottles and... Oh, don't tell the homeopaths that. No, I know. You can... Well, let's oh, face right. it. They'll find a way to use yeah. it. <laughs> Just rub oh, it yeah. on your face. Yeah. <laughs> With some turmeric. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it for today. It was so great being back in our little studio. I know. It was you. wonderful. I yes. missed you guys. love recording with you guys. And we have some exciting news to share. For all of you sci-fi and horror movie trivia lovers, we have a new sister podcast called Trivial Chainsaw Massacre, and it's headed your way. Our first three episodes will be dropping soon. Uh, Wednesday, January 11th, I believe we will have our first episode. You can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, so you might want to study up because the first three episodes will include trivia questions for the films Nope, The Exorcist, and Evil Dead 2. So excited, I can't wait. Yay. Yay! All right. Peace. Adios. Thanks for listening.